everybody. We are back for another episode of Burke Reviews Movie Club, episode number seven. We'll be talking about John Wick, chapter two. I'm John Burke, and with me... Corey Starr, hello, hello. And it's just us this week, um, as it has been for most of the week so far, although uh, we are looking to bring in some other guests in the future with some other movie uh, recommendations. But um, we both have watched John Wick, chapter two, and that's what we're going to be getting into later in the podcast but first we're going to talk about what's coming out this coming uh february 24th in theaters near you so Corey and i watched some trailers um i think we'll start with the most obscure i it, it says it's getting a wide release but i'm not sure if that's actually going to prove to be true um we'll start with collide uh did you, what'd you think of the trailer for collide Corey? Mm. <laughs> um i wasn't impressed and at the beginning i thought it looked a lot like a nicholas sparks movie oh nicholas sparks eh? um well i'll say let's before i guess we should get better about like talking about what the movie is uh collide is a um new action thriller uh starring nicholas hout or holt uh felicity jones anthony hopkins and ben kingsley um which that cast alone should be like oh man really um because if you don't if you're not familiar with felicity jones she is uh in rogue one she was in Inferno, she's in a Monster Calls, and then now this movie. So four movies all slated at the 2016 date, although this movie's obviously coming out in 2017. It is dated 2016 on IMDb. Um, we have a director, Erin, I think Eran, Erin Creevy, um, who has directed, it looks like, predominantly British action movies that I'm not familiar with. Um, okay. Welcome to the Punch and Shifty uh, from 2008-2013, so... Um, five-year gap between the first one and the second one, and a three-year gap with Collide. And like Corey said, uh, it's a... I want it to be good, because I like all the people in it, but it looks it looks pretty mediocre. Um, it definitely has some action. Uh, Nicholas Hout, I guess, after, or Holt, whatever, after his Mad Max film, they've decided that he needs to drive more cars. Um, so he's driving okay. a lot, and, uh... You know, Felicity Jones, really great in Rogue One. I absolutely loved her in A Monster Calls. Uh, Inferno was pretty bad, but not necessarily because of her. Um, but, you know, I, I think she's got a lot of potential. Um, I wasn't familiar with her before this year, but she's been in the uh, the fall movie slate quite a bit. So, um, Sometimes it worries me when an actor is doing so much work all at once. Well, I feel like... And I know that they have these movies take different amounts of time to make or, you know, just because it's just now getting released doesn't mean that they just, you know, I, mm. I get that with the timelines and stuff. But sometimes I guess I'm afraid that I've seen it with um, a couple directors where they just do so much and it some of it seems kind of thinned out. I don't know. Yeah, it, it doesn't look it doesn't look great. Um but, you know, I, I would give it a watch. I do have to say, Ben Kingsley gets cast as uh, other, like, races a lot. You know, like, he was Gandhi, and he was uh, the Mandarin, which is traditionally an Asian character, although the way they play that, it ends up not being, like, cast in the wrong race. Um, if you've seen Iron Man 3, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but now he's playing, like, I think he's, I couldn't quite tell what accent he was going for, but it's definitely not British. Um, it felt Arabic. But then it didn't, so I'm not sure. Definitely gangster. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, some type of gangster. I don't know. It was weird. Um, Anthony Hopkins is being very Anthony Hopkins. 
Um, and not not like good Anthony Hopkins necessarily, but you know later but you Anthony know, Hopkins. I'm st- still just gonna love him anyways. I might not see yeah. all of his later work, but I just I still love him. I I am the same. When I saw, it, I was like, ooh, Anthony Hopkins, and I was like, oh yeah, but Anthony Hopkins. But um, yeah, he's he's not been picking the best movies lately, but you know it's hard to forget the greats he's done. Um, all right, well that's our opinion of Collide. Uh, the next film is another a new animated movie. Um, called Rock Dog, set uh, same, you know, obviously the same release day. Um, it is directed by let's see, Ash Brannon, who oh, directed Surfs Up, um, or yeah, directed Surfs Up, and worked on the animation for Toy Story one and two. So that's you know something good. Uh, but that's it. Um, he's actually listed as a co-director for Story, Toy Story two, but um, it's got some. Pretty big voice talent in this movie. Uh, Luke Wilson, Eddie Izzard, J.K. Simmons, um, Louis Black, Keenan Thomas, uh, Keenan Thompson, excuse me, May Whitman, George Garcia, um, Matt Dillon, Sam Elliott. I mean, pretty big list of names. What did you think of the trailer, Corey? I don't know if this is gonna be one I'm gonna need to see. Um, and I think the I think that the story could be. I feel like that's kind of a story that gets done a lot. But I feel like it's still kind of important. Yeah. Um. Essentially, where pursue follow your, your dreams. dreams. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, I'm a big fan of that. Uh, that message being um, pushed out there. Um. It is. It's sad though that the the media medium that you hear that message the most is movies, and you know movies are already an art form where it's pursuing a dream. So it is kind of like a little redundant. Like, and people made that complaint with La La Land. Like, it's very much you know, a passion, a movie about passion and then going, you know, all the way, even though the odds are against you and then they succeed. And that's usually how these stories go in these movies. We say chase your dreams and you get your dream where realistically you're not always going to get your dream. But my point has always been you should still pursue your dream. Try. But and then also, to be fair, not everyone can has the opportunity to chase their dream. So because I feel like sometimes there are responsibilities and other things that might not get in the way but for lack of better words get in the way um but also we have to say this because we both love the arts these mm-hmm. are careers that people are steered away from because it is hard to be yeah it can and, be hard to be successful but of course like if you are a big fan of movies or music there's you can write about them you can make podcasts about them there are career paths that stay within the realm um, mm-hmm. Even teaching, as I, I teach film in the high school level, and w- long for one day to teach film at the college level. Um, you know, it is there's st- ways to be involved with your dream. It doesn't have to be uh, always the or or the creation process of it. It could be the analysis or the discussion or you know uh, educating others about it, so that maybe they make more pr- content because the arts uh, does so much for us. It's great to uh, give it back. So I like the idea of the movie. It does look kind of bland. Um, yeah. Which I thought. I think I saw this trailer initially when I went and saw Moana. I'm pretty sure, and it oh. was also like Sing, which I haven't made it to see yet. Um, and I've heard great things about Sing. Uh, it just looks like this is another maybe cheaper version of Sing. Um, as it's focused around animal singing songs. Uh, although, to be fair, they don't really play a whole lot of music in the trailer, so maybe they don't ever perform. Maybe it's just a pipe dream. He wants to do it, but doesn't know how. I don't know. I do like Eddie Izzard. And I love him. The jokes that you hear uh, uh, him make in the trailer, 
uh, sound very much like Eddie Izzard, which if they gave him kind of the ability to be himself, then it could be really funny at points. Um, but still, it, it does feel a little, a little forced. Yeah, and Luke Wilson um, getting a lead role, he hasn't done much recently that I can remember. So, you know, good for him. But Got bills to pay. But I guess that leads to the third movie coming out uh, with wide release net on Friday, the 24th. And that is uh, the one I'm most excited for. I'm not sure how you're feeling, but I'm guessing it's going to be in the same vein that I am. And that is uh, directed by, written and directed by Jordan Peele um, called Get Out. And that stars uh, Allison Williams, Catherine Keener, Daniel Kalu- Kaluuya, Kaluuya. I apologize if I'm totally butchering that. Um, Bradley Whitford. I don't see the dad character here. But um, it's a really interesting looking horror movie. What are you thinking? I, I, mm, I saw the trailer, I forget before which movie, and it's not really speaking to me. Hmm. I, I don't know. I, this is kind of, oh, what is that? Oh my gosh. Dead and Buried. We've talked about that movie before. And it's not like, oh, these white people are controlling black people, but it, kind of seems in the same vein to me kind of i don't know well um i mean knowing jordan peele's uh more of a comedic actor and and you know if you're not familiar jordan peele is a member of uh key and peele um key key and michael key and then jordan peele are the two guys and this is uh, i think his directorial debut and um there is a lot of buzz coming out i think they premiered this at the toronto international film festival and um, it's sitting at an 80 on Metacritic already without its uh, wide release. Um, it's definitely more of a satirical horror. It's not. It, there might be some scary parts, but there's definitely some commentary about the world that we live in. Um, there's definitely going to be a lot more being discussed than what's on the surface. Um, and it's getting a lot of comparison to a film I've not seen but know enough about, the, uh, the Stepford Wives. Are you, fami- oh. are you familiar with that premise of the... Uh, you know, like the suburban housewives are all like hypnotized or robots or some nonsense. I mean, they remade that a few years ago with Nicole Kidman, and then it was a, originally, I think, in the fifties or sixties or something like that. Um, I, I've not seen either version, but I've I've read enough of the synopsis to kind of put together where people are making that comparison. Um, it looks it looks crazy. Uh, it looks well acted, if nothing else. Like they really seem like they're committing. Um, they're playing pretty big characters, like her parents, especially. Um, it, it, the premise essentially is the a, a, a interracial couple go to meet the the girl's parents, um, him meeting them for the first time and them finding out about him for the first time, and it just so happens the city that they're in, there's not a lot of black people. A lot of black people have gone missing in that area, and the the black people that he meets um seem off, like they're not quite um themselves, and. Uh, it, it, the trailer alludes that um, her parents are kind of leading the white people in the community because she's a hypnotist. The mother is a hypnotist, and uh, there's definitely some references to things like that. It looks, it looks interesting. Um, I could definitely see it being scary, but also having, you know, some humor and some life to it, which um, I'm hoping it will. Okay, maybe maybe you just sold me on this movie. Well, maybe I'll go see it and we can talk about it. Uh, not necessarily for the podcast. Yeah, I'm not no. sure, but uh, <laughs> it is a uh, it, the, next week because like this week, we uh, which I've not made it to the theater yet because I am still recovering from my dental surgery. Um, 
But uh, this week we have Cure for Wellness, The Great Wall, which you know not not looking great, and then um, Fist Fight, not so Great Wall. Yeah, I haven't I haven't looked at the reviews for anything because I'm hoping to make it to the theater. Um, it is a three day weekend, uh, even though I have been off all week because of my teeth. Um, and my, well, more so my, the missing teeth and the stitches that I have in my mouth as a result. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, um, I want to see all three. I, I'm not thrilled that Cure for Wellness is a two and a half hour movie. Um, you know, cause that makes it harder to make it to the theater. And, uh, I don't want to see the Great Wall, but I want to see the Great Wall. Like I, I need to see it for some reason. Maybe it's masochistic. I'm not sure, but it's all the dragons. Well, those are the movies coming out on the 27th. Um, I'm most excited for Get Out. Uh, Corey's not excited really about any of them. But... Any? I sound like <laughs> such a jerk. No, I mean, it's it's a weird time of year. It's the end of February. Um, I'm hoping Get Out will be the, the big surprise from February uh, this year, like Deadpool was last year. But um, March looks super promising. Though. There's a lot of stuff coming out in March, so we'll be talking about that in subsequent weeks of the podcast. But... Uh, you know, I know one that's right away in my my brain for March is Logan. So, looking forward to getting in and seeing that as Pumped soon as it that. comes out. But, well, let's go to two weeks ago. Um, not this not this past Friday, but the week before, John Wick Chapter Two came out in theaters, and Corey and I have watched it, and that is our focus for this episode of the podcast. So, let's get overall impressions out of the way. Um, we did uh, John Wick of I think episode two of this podcast, um, and so it's only right that we do uh, the sequel that just came out in theaters. Um, let's just re- recap. I loved the first film. I saw it in theaters, and then I uh, convinced Corey to watch it for the podcast, and, and I enjoyed it. And you did, and it was you were surprised too, right? Very, <laughs> yeah. And I I have a friend, a coworker and friend who um, texted me and asked. Uh, he said he had a couple hours, he wanted to watch a movie, and um, John Wick was on sale because of the sequel being out, and he said, mm-hmm. should I buy it or rent it? And I said, it's a it's a blind buy, buy it, just buy it. And um, I, I always get nervous doing that, because, you know, if someone doesn't like it, and I'm like, yeah, buy it. But, um, like, it was funny, because about 10, 15 minutes into it, uh, he texted me that, they killed the puppy. And, and then everyone knows not to take movie suggestions from John because it's always <laughs> puppies dying. I don't know how that keeps happening, but um, I'm not the one putting the dead puppies in the movies. I just want to point that out. Some directors True. need to chill with the uh, the killing of the animals. But um, all I said, I responded back with the simple, I'm like, that was a mistake. That's all I said was that was a mistake. And um, he also loved it at the end. He's like, that was definitely worth the buy. I'm like, good. All right. I wasn't wrong. But before we get into Chapter 2, um, we are going to spoil this movie. So if you haven't seen it yet, stop the podcast, go to your nearest theater, watch John Wick 2, um, and then put your earbuds in as the credits begin to roll and start listening to the dulcet sounds of Birkenfield and Star. Because so, we're so charming. So, so charming. Nothing like walking out of a theater with us blaring in your ears. So... Right. I have a weird question. All right. And I'm just going to put this out there. I hope somebody in the audience, the, or, you know, the listeners, you know, understands. So I don't live in a city. People like to say it's a city, but it's not a real city. Um, but in the lobby of our theater, we have always had these people that try to get you to come in. Tell directors what you think about movies, blah, 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 blah. And I'm sorry, I know it's their job, but I just walk on by. 
I just want to go to my movie. And now, I guess because everyone does that, every time I come out of the theater now, they're right outside of the, the room I was just in, and they're doing the same thing. And they're trying to, like, push iPads at you and tell directors what you think. And, again, I don't want to be a jerk, but, oh, God, I just have to walk away. But it's like, it'll take you two minutes. I waited, uh, wasted, like, 15 minutes one day and still wasn't done. But oh, I just man. don't know if that's, like, happening everywhere or... I go to the theater a lot, and I've never had that happen. Um, it's the most annoying thing. I, well, you know what? I like to give my opinion, so I'm not sure if I would completely agree. Um, but do you get anything in return? Like, do they give you free tickets or... I don't think so because I would be more inclined to do it if you gave me a couple movie tickets. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's I, I'm intrigued. Um, I don't know people if uh, that's happening at your local theaters. Let us know. We're curious now. Um, is this just a thing in Boise, Idaho, or is this everywhere? No, I'm gonna have stalkers saying. <laughs> I'm kidding. We have definitely talked about where you're from. Um, I know. I'm just kidding. Okay. Um. And, I mean, to be fair, if they, we have listeners in Boise, they probably already know you. So, um, Because I'm so fantastic. And there's not a whole lot of people, right? It's kind of small. So, yeah, it's true. <laughs> All right. So, John Wick Chapter 2 continues almost immediately where John Wick left off. Uh, uh, definitely some time has passed. But we're not clear exactly how much. But I feel like the dog is much bigger than when he when the movie ended. He's past the teenage stage. He's like a grown dog. <laughs> yeah. So that's got to be at what? Like at least a year? Um, yeah. Because he's got to be at least seven-ish. So um, at least a year has gone by. But John isn't finished with the uh, events of the first film. He's still hunting down his car, um, which he's now found. And we get a pretty awesome action sequence. It's a little weird. Uh, I thought the taxi driver like fight was a little odd. I'm going to agree with that. Just, just like, especially when you know who it is coming for you, they looked, like, way out of their league, and I don't know why they started anything. It seemed like they could have just let him leave. Like, you and know. I, I'm just going to, exactly, I'm going to get out of your way because I do not want my butt beat today. Yeah. Like, mm. but, you know, okay, fine. It, it's it's still pretty awesome to watch. Uh, there's some really awesome stunt work. The car chasing, uh, especially in the tight quarters, because they're in, like, a garage, like a big open like area garage for like the taxis and stuff and he's driving through them and it, it's a pretty impressive piece of stunt work but it does seem you know a little, a little out there but the whole movie's out there so let's not nitpick that because well that's not the point um john wick is not grounded in our reality it's in a different alternate reality where apparently there are a whole bunch of assassins i hadn't yep yeah. i had no idea how deep that ran yeah, it, it gets when we get a little farther into the movie, we will uh, discuss that in in depth. But um, so John Wick is now uh, hunting down the brother of the guy uh, he killed in the first movie. Um, although they they have a peace offering, and they're both done. This is it ends here. We're done with this this story. The the revenge for killing my my dog and stealing my car. It's over. He goes home, puts the guns away, but he can't get back into retirement mode because. He owes somebody a favor. I I have questions about this in a moment. Let's ask now. Go ahead. But I can't. We're not in that part. Oh. Um, so it's a, what is it called? A blood a marker? It's called a marker. Yep. Okay. And so does the person that holds this marker, do they wear that marker? I don't know. 
Okay. Like, it looked like just like a like a coin, like a big a coin. Medall- yeah. I don't I don't remember it having a chain on it. Um N- so I felt there... like I felt like he just had it in his pocket. Mhm. Um and that somebody is Ricardo Scamar Scamarcio Scamarcio Scamarcio. I'm going to go with that. Um the okay. character name is Santa- Santino D'Antonio. Um and he has a marker which is quickly explained now if you haven't seen John Wick 1 for some reason and you're listening to this podcast, this has got to be super confusing, but they have built an elaborate, awesome underground world of assassins um, that they only alluded to a little bit in the first movie. We get a taste of things, and they definitely expand that world more in this film, which I think they do a pretty great job with the world building again. Um, and in this case, we know that the marker allowed John to retire in the first place, so he made a deal and essentially is... At any time, this guy can can uh, call him in to pay his debt. But whatever happened, we don't know. And I think that's really smart. I Yes, I enjoyed that. But I did want to know more what exactly he did. Well, you want to know more. And I, I think it was the Slash Film cast that mentioned um, nothing that you, they could have shown probably would have lived up to what you can imagine like uh-huh. it's one of those things um i feel that way with a lot of horror movies when they really hype up the monster i'm usually let down by the time the monster is revealed in the movie because they never live up to the fear that i've built it in my head you know like the what the monster's gonna look like what's it gonna look like and then it's like Bleh. here it is Bleh. and it's never as good now there are the exceptions like alien the xenomorph is an mm. amazing monster where the whole time you're waiting to, for it to happen <laughs> and when it shows up it's it's horrifying so it there it can be done right but more often it's a letdown you know you're like oh what's the monster going to be and it's like nothing it's it's junk and i think this scene would have been the same like what did this guy do to help john so that he could retire well i mean it's going to end up either being really oh okay well he helped him kill a guy or whatever you know it, it can't be as, as great as you can imagine it being. And there is an example in this film that um, of that being done, though. In the first movie, and even at the beginning of this movie, they remind us of a story. What is the legendary story that everyone talks about with John Wick? Do you remember? Yes. Hold on. That he killed somebody with a pen mm. or a pencil. Is it that I, one? I think uh, three or four men with a pencil. Yeah, we hear it in the first movie. Um, and we hear about it again right at the beginning of the second movie. And so in this movie, at some point, he will kill two men with a pencil. And it's pretty awesome. I, I've heard people who didn't like it. I thought it was a pretty great uh, scene. Not necessarily believable, but again, it's not grounded in reality, so let's accept that. He's an assassin. He's th- apparently the best assassin. Um, which the boogeyman. We're going to get into <laughs> some issues with the film, but we're not going to go play-by-play all the way through the film. So... um. But ultimately, the plot sets off this time that he doesn't want to go back. He's done. He doesn't want to be an assassin anymore. The only reason why he brought he came back was to, for the revenge of you know them killing his dog. Which again, if you don't know what this movie is, it sounds ridiculous. But the dog was a gift from his dead wife, the last thing to help him grieve, and they took it from him. So he had to kill everybody involved. Um, a lot of people die at the hands of John. Clearly, that's what I would do. I would kill everyone if they killed my pup. The way they did it was pretty brutal too, but um, and it was a it was a small pup, like it was not a threat. It was strictly mean to kill the dog, like just awful. Um, this movie, um, one of the complaints I've heard from some of the podcasts, I think it was I think it was two different podcasts, was that it doesn't have the emotional crux that the first film did. 
but I don't agree. Um, I think it has a different emotional crux. I think the first film, we felt sympathetic for John, and John was uh, doing all the stuff he was doing because of that. And if you watch the second movie in a vacuum and you don't remember the events of the first film, I could see you just seeing a guy who's doing his job and then gets pissed off and starts killing more people as a result. But I don't see that. I see a man trying to get out of a world that he had been freed from was forced back in in a, in a way that you could argue maybe he wasn't completely forced. It was definitely acting on his own, but at the same time, I kind of got why he went after it. It was an emotional thing. He was grieving, and someone wrecked that, and so he grieved a different way. And I think here, the emotional crux is John. I think you were supposed to like John. Yes, he's an assassin, but he was he's tried to be redeemed, and obviously he lived a life with his wife where he wasn't a killer, so he's able to walk away. And now he's put in a position where he really, really can't. And so I was emotionally attached to the character. I wanted John to succeed, and I wanted him to make it out alive. I'm going to agree. And I think that so much in this movie was that he's tired. I just got that from him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, he's just very tired. The first movie, we he lost his dog. And he got a new dog now, and he's he's... He's staying a little bit emotionally distant from it. He hasn't named it. He just calls it dog. Um, good boy. Good boy. <laughs> you know, those things. He hasn't given it a name, and that comes up at least twice where someone says, what's his name? He doesn't have one. Um, but this the guy, when he turns down uh, D'Antonio, um, he knows he's not, al- he's not allowed to do that. Like, that is one of the rules is if you have a marker, you have to fulfill it when it's called. And Dan, Dan, D'Antonio even says, I wouldn't have, I would have never come to claim it had you stayed out of it, but you brought yourself back in. So, like, it, it works because you see John, like, has put himself into this position, but he didn't feel like he had a choice. And so now his dog was taken from him, and now his house is taken from him. The guy blows up his house. John, by a very nice placement of next to a window, survives. The dog survives, so the dog doesn't die. I was worried for a minute, though. Um, I was worried, too. <laughs> I was like, not again, but no, the dog's fine. And they don't even make you wait. Like, the dog comes and finds John, just like, hey, I'm okay. You're like, all right, thanks, dog. Um, but the house is burnt. You see the picture burned. So this was the, this was his, you know, sanctuary, and this is where he everything was about his other life. And now that's completely removed from the equation. Everything about that life is now gone. And I felt like that was very symbolic of the character change. Is that not, he's tired because I think he has nowhere to rest anymore. He knows that his world has been taken away from him. This this nice world where he had been able to escape from the assassin's world um, has been completely robbed of everything it had. It was, his wife died. She left him something. That was taken from him. His car was taken from him, and now his house is taken from him. And it's, it's man, he has no other choice. Um, and this is where the world building really begins, and that sets the plot. So Dan Antonio wants him to kill his sister, and so John's got to go to Rome and assassinate the sister because now we hear of a new thing. We heard about the Continental, which was a like safe haven for the assassins. No business can be conducted on the Continental grounds. Um, and we find out there's Continentals probably throughout the world, but we know for sure there's one in Rome as he goes to the Continental in Rome. But um, we also learn about this thing called the High Table, which is like the League of Assassins, so to speak. Like they're the head, they're the boss, they're the, uh, you know, the presidents, the Congress, whatever you want to say of the assassin community, which we get still very little information about, right, Corey? Oh, your mic's gone, Corey. I'm here, sorry. There you are. Um, we get very little information about... Uh, 
the the high table just enough to to entice us and know that it's something important. And the uh, D'Antonio, if his sister is killed, he will get her seat at the high table. So it's a big deal for him. Um, and he can't kill his own sister because one, it, I guess it would cause controversy. But two, um, it's his sister. He loves her. He doesn't want her to die, but he wants the spot at the table. So it's very twisted, and he's a villain. That's what villains do, right? Yes. Um. And so the father, their father, left her that seat. Right? Yes, that's what he and, tells us. And she seems much older than him, also. Definitely a little bit older. Um, not sure how much, but that would make sense if she was the firstborn. Um, that she would get the seat uh, instead of him. But, um, yeah, so that sets off a lot of awesomeness. And I think at this point, let's stop talking scene by scene and let's get into what we liked and what we didn't. So what uh, what did you like about John Wick Chapter 2, Corey? I thought that the action was awesome. And I think with both of these films, the humor is very – is placed very strategically it i laugh when i you know i laugh when i'm supposed to laugh but it doesn't seem out of place yeah no i i definitely agree um although there's a few moments where i i kind of laugh at people dying that i'm like i probably shouldn't but i know this is a movie like i wouldn't laugh if someone died that way in front of me but because i'm aware that it's a film about assassins i find it easy to like oh man that that was crazy like that moment was nuts like how he killed that guy and how he did that move like oh and i don't laughter it's more like uh, a manic like oh my god i can't contain it reaction um because i just the action is so well choreographed in the john wick movies and i also i don't know a lot about ruby rose uh she's getting into everything um She's in Orange is the New Black, right? She was. Uh, yeah. She was. Okay. She's. I have. Oh, go ahead. Oh, well, she was in Resident Evil, the final chapter. No. Um, she's in this. And I think they said she's in the new Fast and the Furious movie or something. I actually just watched a lip sync battle last night uh, with my wife. And it was Ruby Rose and um, Mila Jokovic. Um, okay. Uh, lip sync battling. Uh, if, you're, if you're a fan of that that show, it's worth a watch because Mila Jokovic uh, does a uh, white wedding and dresses up as Billy Idol and it's it's pretty pretty awesome. Um but Ruby Rose shows up and everything. And this I found it very interesting they went with the silent character. I liked that. I thought that they it was inclusive and I'm seeing um it, with a lot of different social situations too that they're having sign language interpreters there and I like that a lot. Um one day I'll learn sign language. But I thought that that was a really cool way to kind of be inclusive with the movie. And it didn't seem out of place also. But I didn't, I know nothing about her at all. So I didn't know if she's really deaf. Maybe no. that makes me sound dumb, but I know nothing about her. No, no, she's definitely not. Um, she's Australian, I believe. Um, oh. And uh, I, I could be wrong. It might be New Zealand and it could also be South African as the accents um, throw me. I, I'm pretty sure it is Australian, though. Um, yeah, she's apparently a pretty big star wherever she's from and is blowing up somewhat, but she's, like, her role in Resident Evil is is minimal. Um, it's She's much more prominent in John Wick Chapter 2, as she is essentially the uh, the number one henchman for uh, D'Antonio, like, which 
didn't come off initially, but it she clearly is later on when when um, John Wick goes to accept the the marker and say he'll do the job. Um, she's more prominent there, and there's a whole conversation that she has with John Wick uh, through sign language, which we get text um, in the John Wick text, not not traditional closed captions or anything. Just this John Wick stylized text that is in the middle of the screen, which is fine. Um, it's a little over stylized for my taste, especially some of the the words they like italicize or will make bigger than the rest and like paint it, make it red or whatever. It's just too much um, for me. But um, I didn't, I didn't mind it, but yeah. I felt like it goes well with the movie. But we learned that John Wick knows every language ever spoken or used. Which makes sense, uh, given that he is a worldly assassin who is apparently that. I I, I wasn't going to go back and forth between what we like and what we don't, but I think it's necessary. One of the things that I thought was like making it less believable that he's an assassin mm-hmm. is that everybody knows him on site. Like, I know he's not a ninja, and he's not a spy, but like he walks into any room. If there's other assassins, they're all like, "Hey, John," and he's just like, "Hey," it's like, "Okay, wait." Because it seems like there's a lot of assassins like connected killing each other in the two movies that we've seen, you know, because mm-hmm. um, like John gets the, the the hit put on him in John Wick one um, because they don't want him to kill the son. So, like, you know, there's a, assassins coming after him. And then in this movie that happens again because now we're dealing with like the bosses of this assassins community or this crime syndicate i'm not even sure what the high table actually is in charge of i guess they're not in charge of the assassins they're in charge of like the crime families mm-hmm. and they hire the assassins i'm not really sure but um and they have territories yes definitely have some territories and he's trying to move in mm-hmm. d'antonio wants to move in on the new york territory or something like that um yeah so there's there's that and uh it's just like okay if he's so like mysterious people should only have heard of him because they even like refer to him like he's like the shadow like he comes in and out and he we see him do that a few times in the first movie and in this movie where he's just moving through the the place like without being seen and taking people out so i don't feel like everyone should know who he is i okay so with like the people in the rome continental i can see that but oh with with the, the employees, though, I'm fine with. Or, like, even though, but, like, is it, it's in New York, this other continental that we're initially introduced to, right? Uh, I believe so, yeah. Okay, well, they can all go there, and they can't conduct actual business, and they have drinks and mm-hmm. eat and things like that. I could understand people in the New York okay. f- facility knowing, but also, I also kind of see it, like, Sometimes I know who people are without actually, I guess, ever seeing them or, like, you know what I mean? Because people talk about them. Oh, yeah. Again, but if you're in a world where you're an assassin, your your anonymity is important, right? Like, people can't just know who you are. Because how are you going to get close to your mark if they see you coming? You know what I'm saying? Like, you have there has to be some... And I am basing this on a lot of video games where, like, you're an assassin of some kind. Whether it's Hitman or Assassin's Creed, generally speaking, you would need a either disguise or something to, to hide from everybody. Now, here's where it gets to my, my real point. When In this movie, John Wick has a, a hit put on him again. Because after he kills the sister, 
Um, now D'Antonio wants to kill him so that because he knows he's going to come after him. Um, there's no question that John wants to to get back at him for blowing up his house, but he couldn't kill him until he finished the mark. That was again the rules. Um, and so he puts a hit on John, and we get this really cool but maybe odd sequence where we see like these um, old fashioned operators, like uh, phone operators. Um, I love it's such a cool scene it, it's a little weird like stylistically like how they they look like um what, what is it not suicide girls what's the uh no they look like they look like they're straight out of like the same era as rosie the riveter they have their hair pulled back like that um oh my gosh very is that 50s it's definitely 50s but they have tattoos which is what I, I believe is a modern trend of, like, I think they're called Suicide Girls or something like that, where they're tatted up, but they dress, like, in the 50s. Um, you know, like, I don't want to say Betty Page, because she's actually, I think, from the 50s, but I feel really dumb. This is not an area I'm very knowledgeable, but I'm trying to describe the look of these women. And it's very cool. Um, they have, like, a mix of old-school technology and new-school technology. Like, they're using the old phone boards, but yet they're, they're typing on these old-looking computers. But when they type on these old computers it sends a text message to all of the assassins um to let them know that john wick has a, a hit and here's my problem they don't send a picture but everybody knows who john wick is fair enough okay e everybody like every assassin that he comes across which is a lot of freaking assassins they all know him on site and i feel I... like without a picture most people wouldn't know oh john wick so i need to look up who john wick is and maybe you can find him but again if he's now he was retired, so maybe he made a Facebook page. Maybe he screwed up. Maybe he put his profile out there too much. You know, com. yeah, maybe. Well, probably not. He just, you know, <laughs> he's a widow, Corey. But, um, but you know, again, it's a small problem. I don't really. It's again, it's a fictional world, and we don't know what he's done. We don't know anything about his full backstory, and we don't know for real how his assassinship worked, as we've only seen him going on his own missions. And the one mission we get to see him do is kill the sister of D'Antonio and um, get get into a rivalry with Common as a result because Common was working for her. And He's uh, a worthy adversary. He is, very much. And that, I, I get that there should be other people who are as good as John, but from everything we've heard, I don't know if it should be that evenly matched. Um, but they are, they, they are a really cool like rivalry that I, I enjoyed a lot. Um, and one of the coolest scenes is them shooting at each other with silencers in a busy subway. Oh, I loved that. It was so <laughs> funny because like they're both like just casually, like, Ch -ch -ch, and <laughs> no so one else it. noticed it. It was it was great. Um, and of course, my favorite action sequence is after the assassins, uh, the hits put on him, and he goes. We get a a, a sequence of cross cutting where he's fighting like three or four different um assassins who are trying to kill him to get the money even though th there's a lot you can make fun of like um the woman plays the violin is also an assassin whose gun is in the violin so she's ready to randomly kill people in the park i'm not really sure what you just never know when you're gonna have to work for real yeah. you know and then there's like the sumo guy um that he fights that takes a bullet to the head and still tries to get up um which was pretty nuts and then the guys that he kills with the pencil um at like the little coffee bar or bar i'm not really sure um, but that seems pretty brutal. And um, so, yeah, he's got this hit put on him and everything's going crazy. We learn more and more about the Continental. Um, 
we get some curious things about the gold coins. How much do you think a gold coin is worth to them, Corey? <laughs> I, I feel like I just can't. Because I can only think of it in terms of our money. Yeah, but it doesn't and, it doesn't add up, right? <laughs> because we know that John is very successful He's and got a lot of gold obviously coins. the number of coins that he has is a lot, but if I looked at them it doesn't seem like a lot to me. You know what I mean? True. And here's the biggest problem, and this is where I think they might have in the first movie we see him use the coin to get a hotel room. Um he pays uh the the cleaners up to clean out all the bodies from his house. Um, which they gave a coin per person for cleaning up all the bodies. Um, or he might have given a coin per dead body. I don't remember what it was, but it, it felt like he gave, I think, 12 coins. So it was probably one per body. Um, which, okay, that's a... So it's got to be worth a lot, right? Because, like, you couldn't yeah. hand a dude a dollar to get rid of a body for you. So it's got to be worth quite a bit. I'm thinking uh, like a million. So, But then we see him buy a single drink at a bar with the gold coin. And... Oh my god! And it's like, uh, wait a minute, <laughs> what is he drinking? Because that's an expensive drink based on what I've seen in so far with his currency, right? Like, the gold coin thing, it's a, it's an ambiguous, and I like that it's ambiguous. But they did some stuff with the gold coin where they were buying stuff at the Continental, and I'm like, I don't think that's the the same thing. Like, I don't think he should be using coins here. Like, it feels like that should just be money. Like, because they get paid in regular money, I assume, because his house is really nice. Um, and his car his is really is nice. Beautiful. So we have to assume that the coins are a special currency, and then there's also money. Like there has to be just regular money too. Um, and so certain things maybe shouldn't cost a coin, is I guess what I'm saying. And that might be an oversight, or maybe they just really want to build this other world that operates inside of our own, where yes, gold coins are the only currency, and everything's the same. Everything costs a gold coin. It doesn't matter what it is. One gold coin will get you something. And, um, okay, maybe that's what they're going for. Maybe it was an oversight. Maybe it's we're analyzing a movie that's meant to be about the action. Um, and I can't say that. they gave us a story. They gave us such a cool world. I We need to back up a little bit because I was trying to wait for a time that this question would fit in, and there hasn't oh, been a time. Sorry. So, no, it's not your fault. Um. So when he goes to the Rome Continental and he goes in to purchase his weapons, the guy that is helping him is wearing a marker on his suit, on his chest, where like a lip, maybe a lapel pin would go. Mm. And I want to know, like, I wanted to know about that because it caught my eye right away. I, I didn't notice that he had a marker on, um... That is interesting. I, it's possible maybe he someone owes him something. Um, or I was thinking maybe he's paying off, but that wouldn't make sense. It could. Maybe I, he's paying off. Like maybe him working there is paying off his his mark. Um, you know, he's almost like an indentured servant or a slave or something. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, that scene is is fun. Like it's ridiculous with them doing like uh, because. I, I again, I'm referencing the slash film cast quite a bit, but I, I liked some of the stuff they said. And one of the, uh, the, the, I love the action in these movies, and I, I am not really political in general, but guns make me nervous when people love them too much. Like I'm not anti-gun, but I'm also not like pro-gun. Where like, 
you know, guns in the wrong hands, not necessarily criminals, just someone who is way too excited to pull the trigger is a scary thing to me. Um, and they definitely fetishize guns in this movie, right? Like guns, especially that sequence when he's ordering guns like he's ordering wine. And uh, the way they talk about the guns and the way they hold the guns, it's it's very much a gun-loving moment. And it didn't bother me, like, a lot, but at the same time I am like, hmm, I don't, I don't feel that way in real life. I do feel that way in movies. I enjoy a good action movie and the knowledge that this is fake. You know, I'm very much aware that this isn't real. And so I'm okay with it in that context. Um, much like I, I'm completely against physical violence, but I love UFC and, and WWE, which is fake violence, but nonetheless, like it's still portraying violence. It's still portraying violence, but it, it, it's, it is that it's not real and we know that it's not real. And well, UFC is real, but UFC it's, it's, I guess, you know, I'm going to use a word that I wouldn't use normally, but it's consensual fighting. Like, both parties know what's at risk, and both parties are aware, and both parties have trained for this exact reason. And so I can find an artistry to it that I wouldn't in a street fight, you know, where there is no rules and people are looking to maybe injure you versus to win, you know? Um, even though some UFC fighters, definitely it's questionable if they're looking to just win or if they're looking to injure. But I would say the average martial artist is not looking to maim or uh, completely take out their opponent, especially in the modern UFC. Maybe in the original UFC when it was more like illegal street fight, um, like when Tank Abbott was crushing little guys because uh, there was no weight classes in the original UFC. What? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was different, but I think modern UFC, it's definitely more about the art and the, f- and the, the process. Um, not to go off on tangent, but I'm just making a point about that sequence is hilarious. And yet there's something that's like inside, just like, this isn't okay though. Right? Like, cause if other people aren't getting that it's a movie and are like, Oh yeah, guns, guns, guns. I, that makes me nervous. Again, not, a, not against guns. But I am always apprehensive about having too much affection for a weapon that's designed to kill somebody. You know, like, it, there should be, like, a respect given to the weapons like that as, again, they could easily, you know, end someone's life. And so it's not it's not meant to be, like, a toy. You know, I guess that's what I'm saying. They make them feel like toys. See, I didn't feel like they made them feel like toys. They definitely understood and portrayed how powerful they were. I just felt like they were still, um, still using because they were talking about it as in, weren't they also saying like, as in like dinner courses? Yes. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I think my point is that's very cute. Oh, see, I thought they were just like keeping up with like, they have different, I, I would Code. I would see that if they were anywhere where someone might overhear, but they're not. You know what I'm saying? Like they're in the Continental. He's not on the phone with them, where someone could be eavesdropping or listening in. And there's never in any indication like that the government or something is closing in on the assassins. Where like if that was a factor one, I would hate it. I'm glad they didn't do that. But if, if that were a factor, then talking in code makes sense. But we are under the impression that this is basically a safe haven. So it's just cute, right? Like, there's no reason to talk in code other than it's cute. And when I say that it's cute, I'm saying, like, it it, it takes the serious tone out of what they're doing. And it's like, oh, that's funny. 
But, again, and this is not a major complaint. I'm not saying the movie's bad or anything. And, again, I know that I this is a very controversial issue. There are people who are very against guns. And there are people who are very pro-gun. And I am saying I'm in the middle of that party. I am not on one side or the other. I don't think guns are bad. I do think people who obsess over guns could be a little scary because, again, they it's a lot of power in your hands. And I do think the movie as a whole does show the power of guns, right? But at the same time, the audience, we're very excited when he uses the guns. So then you make this cute scene where he's getting the guns, and it does seem like they're like, yeah, gun violence is okay. I think that we kind of disagree on this because yeah. I felt like they always talk in code like i don't know i i mean i don't think always is is 100 percent accurate there's definitely re- like when he in the first film when he orders the guy to come get the bodies he orders a uh i think it's dinner reservations or something like that for 12 or something like that yes and that mm-hmm. made sense to me because it's on the phone yeah because you don't know who's listening in there's you you got to be careful because uh, even more so if you don't know the code you could be a cop like an undercover cop calling in you know, trying to, like, trick you, like, trick this guy so he'll come to clean up bodies, but I'm a cop, so you gotta know the codes. I get that there. But when I'm in the Continental and I walk into the room, because even the gun store is implied that it's in the Roman Continental, where, Mm -hmm. like, everything else that he does in Rome, because he goes and gets a suit made, that's in a normal tailor that has an assassin's, like, suit division, essentially. It has, it's in a sweatshop. Yeah, well, that's, you know, it's Italy, I guess that's maybe uh social commentary i don't know um but and then same thing he goes to the like the jewish bank to get his uh extra money out of the um safe deposit box or whatever and um what else is he he has the map of the uh the catacombs he goes to like a library or something for that like he goes to these places where a code makes more sense because it's out of the continental awesome by the way like the map. Ah, uh, yeah. I loved that. And there was because I feel like there was one more thing that he did. But I, I'm trying to think too. Suit, guns, map. Maybe not. Maybe it was just the three. But the other two, if I, if that's just the three, the other two are look to be off of the continental grounds, grounds where a code makes sense because they're they're it's a front. There's a business in front, and then he's going to like a secondary part of the business. Um. And then, but then the gun shop, it, I'm almost, because it's, I think he asked if the maitre d' is in or something like that, whatever the term, uh, kind of, what's the wine, connoisseur, um, Sauvignet, Sauvignet, sure. the person who's like the, the guy who knows all the wine list, that's how it's handled, um, so like he's not ordering dinner, he's ordering wine is how the guns are treated, and I think that's the, the name, so even them asking that, I'm, I'm okay with. And I'm okay, with, again, I'm okay with the scene. I think it's funny, but my point is, is it making something trivial? And again, I'm not saying it is. I'm just throwing it out there. And again, I do feel uh, Slash Film discussed this, and I thought it was an interesting point. Um, because, again, in a world where violence is definitely running rampant lately, um, people who don't get the difference of fiction and, and reality you gotta be you know aware of that because that's a lot of people who are going to be drawn to an action movie like this especially this extremely violent and very grounded type action movie you know like the the stunt work is very close quarters and it's very 
uh, real by comparison to other movies where, you know, a character is not, he doesn't have infinite bullets in this movie. You know, his guns, he has to constantly switch weapons or he doesn't have ammo. You know, like those, it's grounded in a very real type of violence compared to other action movies, yet the world he's in is very fictionalized. There's no question that the things that happen in this movie are not likely happening here. Like, I don't think there's this syndicate of assassins, although there could be, I suppose, and I wouldn't know because I'm not an assassin. Or I am, and I have to say that so that people don't think that there is. But uh-huh. And I know, hope they never come for me. But, you know, like... The, the violence is, is real. Like, a lot of... I mean, Keanu Reeves does most of his own stunts because he is actually skilled at all the stuff we're watching him do. Jiu-jitsu, driving, and shooting. He is, you know, very well trained in all three of those areas um, to make movies like this. And so, you know, those are things that, again, I am not saying it's bad. I'm not condemning this movie. It's just something to put out there and think about because we do need to think about how is the art received by the audience and... Um, what message could they infer, whether intentionally by the movie maker or incidentally by the, the audience themselves? You know, just taking information and misinterpreting the intent of the director and the writer. I this I know this conversation has been happening our whole lives. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, and with like children, I can understand better like kids that watched wrestling and then there were children who killed their siblings trying to do wrestling moves on them and they were little and it killed them yeah yeah no you're completely right um the impact of media and again i'm not disputing whether or not this film should be made it's just an interesting conversation it's a discussion yeah yeah and and that's it um i'm not gonna conclude on anything i I love john wick uh too and i am looking forward to john wick chapter three um, which I do hope is the final chapter because I hate yes. when movies go too long with that, like when you've got something great. Um, but let, let's move past that because that is an interesting thing, the, the mark on his jacket. But um, we don't know a whole lot about marks. Um, one of the things that I was really disappointed with in this movie is a small one, and it's Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah. Um, I really wanted him to be more prominent. But when he showed up, I thought he was, like, playing it really big, like, way over the top. And I think that worked for the character, but at the same time, I didn't like the character. I I don't even, I don't know what to say about that. I thought that, I mean, I understand that he has a big network also. He obviously has people all over the streets everywhere in New York, but... I still did feel like they played that bigger than it should have been, I guess. Like mm-hmm. what in his office, like behind his desk, was it a was it like a huge piece of art of a gun? Uh maybe. I don't know that I was paying attention to the art behind it, but um it would make sense. I mean, given that apparently he's a homeless man who uh runs a the homeless network of assassins. As a, a, from what we can tell, most of the homeless people in New York are assassins too. And I got that they're not really homeless. Well, I mean, assuming that they're actually assassins, they they should have the ability to not be homeless. But I guess that's their their front. Um, but that makes that poses the question: Are all homeless people in New York assassins, or only the ones that work for him? 
and they are camouflaging themselves as the other homeless people? You know, like, are there actual homeless people that these people blend in with? Or is that an illusion in New York where all the homeless people are assassins? Because from what we saw, I think every homeless person was an assassin. I feel like that's safe to say anyways, because it seems like everybody's an assassin. And that <laughs> is the biggest problem with this movie, where they're, they're almost jumping the shark um, with the number of people they are implying are assassins. Um, especially at the end, right? When, uh, Well, before we get to that, let's talk about the actual end. Um, John Wick chases D'Antonio to the Continental, where he's not allowed to do conduct business, right? And... Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna. I forgot the other dude's name. I'm gonna have to look it up. Um, and I love him so much in these movies. Um, Ian McShane plays Winston, who runs the Continental in New York. Um, Winston knows right away that this is not a normal situation, and John is pissed and is trying desperately to not like John. Don't do this. And I, we're skipping over this final action sequence, which. Uh, definitely pulls from like enter the dragon the mirror scene inside the the museum where john is in a room of mirrors and it's a lot of awesome action uh him and ruby rose have a decent fight um i i felt like i felt like she just didn't no matter how i say this it's just not gonna sound nice she didn't last as long as i thought she would no i thought she'd put up more of a fight like she'd be a little harder harder to yeah um get rid of well like him and commons fight went for like across continental because it, it started in rome and ends up in new york and even then we don't really know commons fate um commons in a bad situation when we last saw him but we don't know if he survives or not i i, I think he might have survived um at least he had a chance to survive uh john does not give ruby rose that chance um but so that fight, he wins. He's gotten everybody now. He goes after D'Antonio. D'Antonio, D'Antonio is at the Continental, knowing he's safe. Talks some smack to John Wick, and then John shoots him in the head on Continental ground. Did that shock you? It really, really did because I know, I know he's an assassin and he kills people, but I feel like he's kind of still been able to keep it under wraps. He's still been able to stay calm, I guess. I know that's not no, the right word. No, but I, he's I think it is to... because it's not usually personal, right? Like when he... he's doing his job, he's doing a job. This one is personal. He's He is legitimately pissed off at this guy. It, it, it did shock me. I wasn't expecting it because he knows the rules and – he seemed to play by the rules, but then I kind of feel like we should have seen this coming, him doing something he shouldn't because he shouldn't have said no to the marker, and he did. And mm. up until that point, I had felt oh. like he had played by all the rules. That's interesting. I think you, that makes a lot of sense, actually. That was a foreshadowing of him. He's he's so done with this life that he's starting to, to crack, and, and he's allowing himself to break rules that otherwise he clearly adhered to. I mean, in the first John Wick, you can tell he's he's very confident with adhering to the rules because he doesn't even kill the female assassin who tried to kill him. She broke continental rules, and he doesn't kill her because I think he's still following the rules, you know. And, yeah. Um. So we've we've had every indication that John has always followed the rules. He appreciates his lifestyle. He does not anymore. But we even get more indication because Winston, the last person we saw break the rules, was killed. 
John is instead excommunicated. So he's completely cut off from the Assassin's world. He has no access to the Continentals anymore. His gold coins are, I guess, null and void. He can melt them and sell them for the real gold. But um, That's what I didn't understand. Like, I knew it was bad, and I knew that he no longer had safe ground with the Continental. But I guess that I don't understand all the implications of that. Does that just mean that everyone's going to be after him? Well, the, the, they also increase the amount of uh, the bun- the bounty on his head. So, yeah, every it's assassin's going to... Which, even when it oh. was 7 million, I thought too many people were all like... Because it felt like, again... Well, one, 7 million, I'm assuming, dollars. Um, which is not gold coins. So that does bring up that question again. How do you get gold coins if that's not for assassinating people? And then two... Um, the amount of money doesn't seem like that much. It's a, given their lifestyle. Given their lifestyle, yeah, that's uh, seven million dollars is a crap ton of money. I'm saying though, in that world, it doesn't seem like it would be that much. Um, but I don't know. I uh, we don't have any context because he's never been. We've never seen a hit. Everything we've seen. Well, I don't remember how much the hit was on in the first movie. Was it only a million for him um, in the first film or something? I feel like it must have been because. I feel like it must have been. But there were a few people coming after him in the first movie, but this has got everybody wants a piece of this. So apparently $7 million is a whole bunch of money to all these assassins. And again, it is, but it's also not if this is what you're doing all the time. Um, but then but again, he, maybe this is like the highest bounty. I'm not sure. And he is a big fish, you know? So, Which, But that would make me like, that means that knowing who he is, that he's this amazing assassin, and they're offering seven million that enough people thought it was worth the risk to go after him. You know what I mean? Like I would just figure my ass is gonna die. Well, exactly my point. It it has to be enough money that you're willing to risk going after the best assassin ever known. And so seven million's gotta be a it's gotta be a lot because everybody's coming after him, right? And then I don't remember what they I think they say they doubled it to like twenty million or something. Or that's not doubling it, but you know, I, I, f- I forget the exact amount they have on his head at the very end of the movie, but the high table has put, because he killed a high table member on continental ground, so he broke one rule and then killed, essentially he killed two high table members. One he was forced to, and the second one he did on his own. Um, so yeah, he's got a huge hit on his head. He has nowhere to hide. The, Winston, no home. Yeah, no, no home. Even if he did, he couldn't go back to it. But Winston gives him one hour. And that's the film ends with him running and trying to figure out, you know, he clearly doesn't know what to do. I'm expecting John Wick Chapter 3 to be him in the woods, uh, very paranoid, you know, traps around him and letting people come to him. Because he does say, I'm going to kill them all. Um, so I don't know if the, when he says that if he means all the assassins or all of the high table. I, oh, I felt like it was everyone that would come for him. Yeah, but... I don't feel like he would want to be hunted. So he's going to have to take Word. take it to somebody. And how do you get rid of uh, the assassins after you would be taking over the assassins you know, world? Um, so taking over the high table seems like that would be the only option. Um, he might have a few uh, you know, allegiances. There might be some people who will help him. But, you know, like William if- Defoe was in the first movie, although he's, you know, gone in the second movie. But Common. If Common uh, can forgive him, maybe, but it didn't seem like it was in Common's nature. Um, you know, because, again, 
he should have appreciated to a degree that he was on the job. Like it wasn't a personal thing when when Keanu killed him or when John Wick killed him. But um, is there anything else you want to add, Corey? Anything you liked, disliked? Mm, just particular things. Nothing. No general. You know. So well, no. Particular seems like that would be what you want to talk about. Those are specifics, right? Oh, but I meant. I'm sorry. Okay. Words. Words. Um. So these are particular things. Big spoilers. I love when he goes for D'Antonio's sister. Hmm. And she does it herself. That, I thought, that was really hard for me to watch when she cuts into her arms. It was for me. I th- thought I was going to throw up. Yeah. I was like, Like, Ooh. legit. Um, but I loved that scene. I loved... I felt like that... And, I mean, she came right out and said it. She always lived her life her way. But I thought that we didn't really have a lot of time with her character. But they did such a good, ta- good job solidifying who she was. Mm. Um, I loved that it took place in italy i loved that it was um parts of it yes i love i okay but seriously why are we playing edm music on (laughs) oh gosh i just hate that type of music but anyways um i felt like that was a little much at the beginning that concert you mean like uh at the catacombs yes yeah that, that part was the concert was weird um yeah, but they wanted to, I guess, try to recreate the nightclub scene from the first movie because that was like the best action sequence um, in the first film. So we do get a lot of a lot of awesome moments. He's got the guns like set up in the catacombs, um, and then, of course the double cross that comes afterwards. Where now that D'Antonio's sister is dead, uh, Ruby Rose and her henchmen are going to take out um, John Wick so he won't kill D'Antonio, um, and also as a punishment for him killing his sister that he made him do. So. <laughs> Oh, double crosses everywhere. Yep. Um, hmm. I feel like, and I, I did appreciate um, where Winston is that Central Park. I I don't know. I, I think so, but I, I'm not We're familiar. Say it is. Okay. We've never been there. Nope. Um, when he does, he say that he called them off, and they all look at him, and I think that. I didn't realize how how saturated. I mean, we kind of got that when he's running through the subway and he's trying to get away from these people who are trying to kill him, and all these people are answering their phone. But I guess seeing that many people in one area stop, yeah, was very just like whoa. Well, it was like whoa, but at the same time, like okay, are there any non-assassins in this movie? Like, is his wife? the only person who wasn't an assassin like there are so many now granted he staged that right like he had all these people there to make a point Mm -hmm. but how many assassins are there like and how many continentals are there is there one in every major city is there one only in new york and rome like you know those we don't know and it is compelling because if there's seven billion people on the planet uh oh um if there's seven billion people on the planet it is impossible to assume that there are that many uh cory yeah yeah hey it's okay we're almost done um okay <laughs> uh i was saying though there's seven billion people on the planet based on what we saw at that moment the a huge percentage of them are apparently assassins now granted we only saw a small little group of people in new york but it just seems like 
there are maybe too many assassins at this point. Not 100% yet, but it did feel that way, right? Yes. And that's what I meant by jumping the shark earlier. Is like, I'm all for this assassins community and whatnot. And again, it's more crime-oriented, but that's we're seeing that there's maybe too many assassins. And... Um, you know, well, I don't know. I, I, like, he needs, he needs opponents. He needs rivals. I get that. But don't, don't make it too much. It's like, that's one of my issues with the Great Wall trailer, is we see way too many dragons where there's no way we can win. Like, humans are done. Like, if there's that many dragons, it's over. Like, there's just not a, there's no hope. There's too many. And that's what it feels like for John Wick. It's like, mm, there's too many. He's got too much opposition. And all right there. So we can only assume, you know, that there's other continentals. We know there's one in Rome. We know there's one in New York. We can only logically assume there's going to be some elsewhere, you know? Even if it's only one in every country. If there's one in um, U.S. and it happens to be New York, one in Italy, but then there's one in France and and England and Spain and Germany and Russia and, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's so many. And if all of them have, like, a hundred assassins, he's in a bad situation no matter where he goes. Um, Exactly. I... And I don't see any hope in his situation. I do want to see John Wick 3. But we also get that Winston really likes John, obviously, because he would have killed yeah. him. You yeah. know what I mean? He respects John for sure. And he knows that John was um, played. He was duped uh, both times, really. I mean, he was brought out of his retirement um, by a very jerk kid who was too arrogant for his own good. And then kind of the same thing here, an ambitious young man who he had John's life in his hand essentially um manipulated him and I think he understood and, why John broke the rule but he couldn't let be, it slide oh go ahead no no that's fine go ahead and to be fair that kid didn't even want to sign off on his marker yeah yeah he hesitated to do that which Winston made him do it because Winston's like no 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 no, no. this is how we do things this is the rules um, and I, I, again, really like John Wick 2. I like John Wick 1. I am a big fan of both. Um, I do think the story was more solid and grounded in the first film, and I feel like they may have gone too big, which is why the third chapter is where it's either going to make or break this as a great trilogy or make the first film a standalone awesome film and the next two fine. Um, because if if they can't bring it back to a believable outcome at the end, um, you're going to wreck the whole franchise. Except for, again, you can just watch the first movie and stop there. Because that's what you can do with The Matrix. You can watch the first Matrix and pretend the other two never happened. They end the first one completely. You can be happy with how it ends, and you can walk away and be good. And I feel like they did that with John Wick. I think you can go back to John Wick 1, watch it, and be content with how it ends. That he's done, he's going to retire, he's got the new puppy, everything's good. And yet... John Wick 2 is not bad by any means. I actually think it's very great. And it can be, it's a nice stepping stone to hopefully a good conclusion. Or it can, you know, lead into this crazy, nonsensical, they've built a world that they've lost control of. And now the world is just becoming, they keep just building more and more onto it. Because we have already saw there's cracks in their world building in this one with the coins and then the number of assassins that they seem to imply exist we're starting to see cracks in their world that there's too much they they're losing control of it and depending on what happens in the third movie i think can really say whether this is a great franchise or a great standalone movie i hope that they pick it up or clean it up at least right <laughs> like yeah it, it's, yeah they've done Which some I, really cool stuff okay no no it's uh, i just said they've done some awesome stuff 
I really love the world that they've built, um, but I am also a little apprehensive of where it's going to end up. I can agree with that. Um, and I hate talking with you about movies sometimes because sometimes I don't catch stuff and then you talk about it and then I just can't unsee it or unnotice it. Well, yeah, but that's, I mean, that's the beauty of film is there's so much that you can see. And like, if you haven't seen Lego Batman yet, um, it is a Batman lover's uh, dream come true. Like there's so many in jokes and references um, I was like clapping my hands like a little kid in the movie. Like I, my hands went above my head like twice with like applause, like, yay, you know, just <laughs> genuinely awesome. ecstatic for, uh, the, the stuff that they're referencing, not to mention some of the, the cast, which I haven't even talked about, um, because I, I want people to just to like watch it and then figure out who it is and why, because there's some casting where it's very deliberately done, um, to make another joke or another reference to something else in the Batman lore. And it's fantastic. Um, is that a cat? That's Max. Everybody uh, meet Max. Yay! <laughs> I think I've heard him purring most of the show, but um, um, yeah, he's loud. But um, let's let's wrap up. Uh, what rating do you give John Wick Chapter Two? You go first. Okay. Well, mine uh, my review was posted the day it came out, and I have gone with the must see rating. Although I have to say it was very close to being not quite golden because of my little nitpicks um, here and there, and again that my concern with it maybe jumping the shark a bit. I'm I'm going to go with Must See. I can definitely see myself purchasing this one and rewatching it. Yeah. I had a really fun time seeing this at the movies and I went to an almost sold out show and that doesn't really happen. Yeah, I actually they had it in our smallest theater. I went on the premiere night. Weird. So well, it was the premiere night, so the, like it's not officially playing yet. And they don't always have a big crowd for premiere night. Um but it was in mm-hmm. one of the smaller theaters at our theater and uh or seating stadium whatever and it was really tight like every row had multiple like groups of people in it um so wasn't sold out but it was for a premiere it was a really good premiere it was much better than i think the movie theater expected and it was better than i was expecting and another thing too is that a lot of times when there are a lot of people in in our theater there's usually a group of jerks right like almost always there's at least three or four people who don't know how to be in a movie theater and that was not the case with this this group. Like everybody was in this movie. Everyone was watching. Everyone was there to see this movie. So I was happy with that. And one of the things that I really do love, and I, I haven't said this here, but I said it in my review, John Wick to me is one of the best action characters we've had in a long time. Because um, to me, when you look through like action movies, you have like your '80s was the big time. You have Rambo, and you have you know Arnold Schwarzenegger doing any. He doesn't really have a recurring character, with the exception of the Terminator. Um, but then you have, you know, my favorite, Bruce Willis, Bruce Willis uh, exactly, John McClane, and Die Hard being such a great franchise, kind of. You know, they, they movies are hit or miss. I don't really like the second one. I like the third one okay. I like the fourth one more than most people. I haven't sat through the fifth one yet. Um, but, like, John McClane is this iconic character. When you think action, you think John McClane. And some people feel that way with Jason Bourne. I don't. The Bourne movies I enjoyed, but I was never, like, really hooked on them. Um, but John Wick has done that to me where I am like, this is a guy, this is a character that 20 years from now we're going to be talking about action movies and John Wick will come up. That's what I feel like they've got going. And I do think the third movie will make or break that. I think it'll either be, he'll become the cemented great action character or it'll be done. And that's, um, one of the reasons why I think this is a must see is because this is a continuing story of this character that I want to become this iconic action character like we'd think of Rambo or John McClane 
John Wick is there. Um, he does need he doesn't have the catchphrase that uh, that John McClane has um, to help him, but um, I guess his, he's back. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's what we'll get in the third one. We'll get a catchphrase. Maybe, but all right, that's our podcast. Um, next week uh, we are doing a light between oceans. Um, so send us out. What? <laughs> Um, so if you would like to, uh, watch that movie with us and be a part of the, uh, the discussion, um, please do so. Uh, A Light Between Oceans is available on DVD, Blu-ray, and digital. Um, I don't think it's streaming for free on any service yet, but it is out there. Um, it is Michael Fassbender, Lisa Vikander, and I believe Rachel Weiss. Um, and, uh, it's, it's a melodrama from my understanding. Um, it'll be my first watch. Have you already watched it? I have not. I've been waiting. Oh, okay, good. Because uh, you, you bought it, but you haven't watched it yet. No, I've been waiting. And it's the same director as Blue Valentine, right? Blue Valentine and um, I believe uh, there's a place beyond the pines. Okay, Is that, that should same... give it some hype. Yeah, um, it, and it uh, David Bax from Battleship Retention, um, who it's a podcast that I'm a big fan of, and um, he highly recommends the film. Um, it was on his list of Through the Cracks they did last week's episode. Um, so I was like, oh, well, this is a good time for us to watch it because, uh, one, I, I wanted to hear, I heard about it a few months ago and I, it never came anywhere near us. Um, and I've been wanting to see it. Um, I almost bought it. I actually rented it uh, from Fandango now, and that's going to be our movie for next week. So if you want to be in touch with us with that and give us your reviews, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Burke Reviews. I'm at Corey R. Star, two R's on the end. You can go to our website, BurkeReviews.com, and um, email us. Uh, tell us what you think about um, Light Between Oceans, and we might read your thoughts on the air or on the podcast next week. Otherwise, I think that's everything. Thank you for listening. Please share the podcast. Um, if you're shopping on Amazon, why not come to BurkeReviews.com and shop there, where you can uh, easily buy any movie product that you would like through our site, and we get a little kickback, but it is through Amazon. Amazon ships it. If you have Prime, you still get your Prime shipping. It's it's completely through Amazon. It's just on our site. So it's like Amazon Smile. You get to use donate certain money to charity. Us, you get to give us a little bit of money to help support, pay for the podcast, and things like that. We appreciate anything that you're able to do for us, um, especially, though, telling people about us. If you like what we're doing, if you like the podcast, if you like the reviews, please share them on your Facebook, Twitter, and other social media and help us spread the word about burkreviews.com all right Corey, that's it for the show thank you so much for uh, giving up your friday evening and i will talk to you again soon all right bye guys have a good weekend all right, peace this has been a burke reviews podcast burkreviews.com <laughs>